0: Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Free Movement Immigration Update podcast. We're covering um, December 2019. I'm joined as ever by CJ McKinney and my name is Colin Yeo. This month we're starting off with an excellent result on child immigration fees and the Supreme Court's clarification of the legal test in Zambrano cases. There's also some interesting cases on investment visas, unlawful detention and deportational to cover, as well as some developments in asylum law. If you'd like to claim CPD, that's Continuing Professional Development, points for listening, then head over to freemovement.org.uk and sign up as a member. Right, CJ, over to you to get started.
1: Yes, our case of the month, as you mentioned, is this High Court ruling that the fee for children registering as British citizens is unlawful. Uh, Families who want to use the registration process for availing of a child's entitlement to British citizenship are charged over a grand by the Home Office and the court heard that many families are naturally priced out of their citizenship rights by the fee. The decision is Are the Project for the Registration of Children as British Citizens and Others and Secretary of State 2019 EWHC 3536 admin. Uh, Colin, I, I expect like a lot of people are familiar with this case already, or at least the, the results, but what's the practical impact? Because I think it only succeeded on a, on a fairly limited basis.
0: Yeah, so the, I mean, there were several grounds that were being put forward, and the one that succeeded was on um, failure by the Home Office to assess children's best interests when setting the fee and the, the sort of charging regime as well, because there's, there's actually no exemptions to the nationality fee, unlike for other immigration fees. So potentially, the Home Office could respond to this one in quite a limited way. Um, perhaps by saying, oh, well, we've done a best interest assessment and it turns out that we've set the fee just right. Um, Or they might introduce some sort of limited exemptions or or, or a very small reduction or something like that. The more sort of wholesale challenges to um, the level of fee and so on um, didn't succeed at the high court. But that's not necessarily the end of the story because um, I think I'm right in saying that um, the Home Office is appealing um, I think the um, claimants are also sort of cross appealing and that a certificate has been granted to enable the case to go straight up to the Supreme Court. So, you know, the Supreme Court looks like it might be grappling with some of the, the really sort of substantive issues in the case and um, watch this space, basically.
1: Yeah. So I suppose for families or clients who want to register a child, nothing's changed while we await uh, the outcome of the appeals, presumably.
0: No, nothing's changed in the short term, and I'm, goodness knows how long it'll take for for the case to be finally completed. Either um, you know, there's there's quite a
1: backlog of cases going to the Supreme Court, so um, we don't know what the timescale is at the moment. Speaking of Supreme Court, as you mentioned, we have a Zambrano decision from that August body. The case is Patel and Shah, 2019 UKSC 59. And the finding there is that a Zambrano right of residence for the carer of an EU citizen only arises when that EU citizen would otherwise be forced to leave the entire European Union as a matter of practical fact. I think you were saying in your commentary on the case that people were hoping for a bit more of a liberal interpretation on that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a slightly strange judgment because they sort of try to make out that this test is a simple one. But I think if if you're a judge at the first tier, you'd be finding yourself thinking that it, it seems far from simple, in fact. Um, so on the facts of this case, you had a family who said that um, if the I think it was the husband who was applying for status, if he was refused status, then the whole family would leave the UK. Um, The Home Office was saying, well, the the wife could stay behind and look after the child, and that's a matter of um, parental choice on her part. And the Supreme Court um, says, well, that's the wrong approach. It's simply a question of fact. Will they or won't they? And it leaves first-tier judges with that rather difficult question of what is this family actually going to do in some sort of hypothetical future situation? And how do I, um, as the judge in that case, how would I assess whether they're telling the truth about that or not? Um, so it, it's um, you know, theoretically quite simple. It, maybe it seems simple to a Supreme Court judge, but
1: um, I don't think it's going to be that simple on the ground. Fair enough. I, I suppose the other health warning around this is uh, the B word. The Zambrano route is an EU law creature. So all this will at some point be redundant. But it, I, as I understand it, the Zambrano route does remain open, at least during this transition period that will run until at the end of this year.
0: Yeah that's a really good question actually I'm not actually sure I think that's right um but at the same time legally I can imagine that um you know a, a route that's based on citizenship which is disappearing as the uk leaves um the eu uh, is a slightly different question to rights that are based on a directive that then gets kind of embedded into uk law so it, I, yeah I, I think that's right but um yeah you put me on the spot slightly there and i'm not actually
1: 100 percent sure well we'll look into that and report back on on the website maybe because we'll yeah we'll have to work out what's going on with all the eu law stuff by by the end of january <laughs> Um, moving on then to investment visas, there's been an interesting case on the uh, Tier 1 investor, which you don't see a huge amount of case law on. The Upper Tribunal looked at the requirement that the investment funds for this kind of visa be under the visa applicant's control, quote-unquote. Uh, in this case, the people involved had got their money as a loan from a man called Dimitri and then they invested this money in a company controlled by Mr. Kierpachenko's wife. And the terms of this loan agreement seemed to stipulate that this is where the money had to go. So it was loaned out, but it had to then go to this sort of sister company and had lots of other restrictions on the funds. So the tribunal found that the applicants didn't have the necessary element of control over this money and the Home Office was entitled to refuse the investment visas. An important case, I think, for anyone involved in any kind of creative investor scheme, let's say. Uh, the citation uh, RJW and others, and sex of State's Tier 1 Investor Control Investments, 2019, UK UT 393 IAC. Uh, did you read that one, Nicole?
0: Yeah, it's a, slightly, um, it's a slightly odd case, this one, where um, the. the, the claimants are really relying on a very um, legalistic approach to the rules and the Home Office are essentially saying that the spirit of the rules isn't met um, and, and essentially the courts side with the Home Office in this one. Yeah
1: I mean I, I personally I agree it doesn't really seem the spirit of the of the scheme uh, so sympathy with uh, the Home Office unusually on that one. Let's move to detention, and there, just to mention a very large award of compensation for someone being unlawfully detained. Lawyers from Bath Murphy Slisters and Garden Court Chambers have settled the case for £100,000. They were representing an Iranian man detained for over 800 days in total. Despite having severe mental illness, it was eventually sectioned under the Mental Health Act, uh, whereas the Home Office's approach had been too Keep him locked up and segregated rather than seeking proper medical treatment. Is that one of the bigger unlawful detention awards you've seen? Colin seems very high.
0: Yeah, I can't. I can't remember seeing a reward, a, a compensation award, any bigger than this one. And yeah, it's it's just it's so alarming and depressing that these cases are still coming through. Now the Home Office is always saying, "Oh, well, that's not happening anymore. This is getting better. We're doing better." And it's just not true. And not only that. You know they're they're actually making the situation worse for these det- detainees, not just you know detaining them and and some, taking some sort of minimal approach and um, and so on, but actually making the situation a hell of a lot worse. And presumably that's why such a large award was made
1: in this case. Absolutely. Turning to deportation, a couple of cases from the Court of Appeal. We'll start with a helpful one, which is about the public interest in the deportation of foreign criminals, which I think is embedded in statute. The gist of the case is that the weight attached to this factor can be reduced. So the public interest in booting people out where they commit crimes is a, a flexible concept rather than being fixed. The case is Akinyemi Number 2, 2019 EWCA Civ 2098. Nick Nason, writing about this, says it's returned the principles of the Hesham Ali case from the Supreme Court a few years ago. Is that is that about the size of
0: it? Yeah, and it's an interesting case. The, the facts are interesting as well. So this is a man who was born in the UK and has lived in the UK all of his life. But because he was born in the summer of 1983, um, he wasn't born a British citizen. Um, if he would born been born the year before, he he, he would have been, um, because the the 1981 Act only only came into force on 1st of January that year. Um, he also had, by the looks of things, um, plenty of opportunities to register as a British citizen. And, and it sounds like he thought he was British, the Home Office thought he was British. He, he doesn't come across very sympathetically, and he's committed a, a string of really awful crimes. But, you know, this is the kind of case that raised that big question of, you know, What does it mean to be a long-term resident who isn't a citizen? Um, Are our citizenship laws failing if somebody in this position um, hasn't acquired citizenship? Why is it that um, a person in this position should be sent to a country they literally have no personal knowledge of whatsoever, simply on the basis of their parentage? Um, And why should that country be expected to host uh, a criminal that was, you know, born and bred in in this country here in the United Kingdom. So some pretty profound issues. And um, it sounds like the tribunal hasn't done a terribly good job dealing with them. This is the second time I think it's been up to the Court of Appeal. It's been remitted back to the upper tribunal for a sort of third attempt or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting case on the facts. It's also interesting on the law saying, you know, actually it's not quite such a simple exercise as, as some judges seem to think when you're weighing the various different factors in a deportation case.
1: Legally interesting for sure, but in practice, does, does it seem like the kind of case that would filter down at all and mean that judges would tweak their approach to these kind of cases?
0: Well, I, th- I think
1: probably we have to wait for a sort of final decision on
0: this one. Um, it's, the facts are pretty unusual, I think. You don't come across that many people who've got um who've literally been born in the UK and lived here all their life. Right? And the, the the classic sort of deportation cases we see is somebody who's been here for a long time but they weren't born here. Um, sometimes they came as children, sometimes they came as 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 adults. Um, this is the first I can think of off the top of my head where we've had that kind of factual scenario. Um, but it's also, this is quite unusual for being a really serious level of offending as well. So, you know, there's, there's quite strong facts on both sides.
1: The other case on on deportation this month was uh, sort of more we, what we've come to expect from the Court of Appeal on deportations, namely a finding that children being traumatised by the loss of a parent to deportation is not, uh, quote-unquote, unduly harsh. Uh, That's the finding in KF Nigeria 2019 Civ 2051, reinforcing a similar judgment in PD Jamaica from earlier in 2019. We'll uh, spend a few minutes on asylum then. The biggest development, I think, is that the policy of deliberate delay in granting trafficking victims leave to remain has been uh, declared unlawful. The Home Office practice has been to wait until any asylum application by the trafficking victim was decided before making a call and giving them discretionary leave to remain. And this, is, this is confirmed victims of human trafficking who've received a conclusive grounds decision to that effect, but they're still left months or even years before their immigration status is regularised. The decision is our JP and Secretary of State's twenty nineteen EWHC 3346 admin. And the charity the charity Callian calls it hugely significant. Do we agree? Yeah, absolutely. And
0: it's it, it's really hard to understand what the Home Office thought it was doing um with this, because it was basically for its own administrative convenience, and it was obviously harmful and damaging to genuine trafficking victims. Um, And it's another example of the Home Office sort of talking the talk about um, caring for victims of trafficking, but a lot of their policies really aren't very helpful at all. And um, happily, this
1: one's now been struck down. A tribunal case on internal relocation, then. Essentially, the finding is that all the Home Office has to do in an asylum case is assert that there is somewhere in the asylum seeker's country of origin that they could safely move to to avoid persecution, at which point the burden of proof is on the asylum seeker to show that it would be unduly harsh for them to internally relocate. That case, MB, Internal Relocation, Burden of Proof, Albania 2019, UK UT 392 IAC.
0: Yeah, it's a slightly—it's um, quite a bold advocate who um, relies on an argument that the Home Office—the um, burden rests with the Home Office—and doesn't present any evidence themselves on an issue like this. Um, and I'm perhaps that because there, there was just wasn't any evidence. I don't, I, I don't know. Of course, it's is really hard commenting on these kind of cases when you're not really closely involved with them. But um, I think as um, as our write-up says, it's not necessarily wise to take this case as. Um, a sort of precedent of any sort because of the lack of evidence that was presented on the issue so um, it doesn't really set much of a precedent on the
1: on the facts okay it's good to good to clarify the next case is a pretty ignominious defeat for the home office it attempted to stop a refugee bringing his wife to join him in the uk because the couple had been separated when the refugee left pakistan uh, they they've since reconciled the argument was based on a pretty ropey interpretation of the immigration rules, which the tribunal shot down. Essentially, the Home Office argued that the marriage wasn't subsisting at the relevant time, but that's not what the immigration rules require. They just require the marriage to be existing, which it was. They had merely separated, not divorced. The citation, uh, Sahabi, paragraph 3523, Meaning of existed Pakistan, twenty nineteen UK UT three nine four IAC, and I suppose maybe just goes to show how creative Home Office officials can get in trying to refuse these asylum cases.
0: It doesn't reflect well on the Home Office or the officials who who decided and then fought this case. It has to be said. Um, I mean, you know, what were they really trying to achieve here? Keeping a, a, a family member with a, a you know current relationship um, out of the UK. Um, Relying on a, a transparently weak, really frankly dodgy argument. It's just not a good look for the Home Office.
1: Um, but you know, sadly, this sort of thing does go on. A couple of quick notes on asylum then, and, and jump in, Colin, if you want to uh, comment further on them. There is a High Court judgment on when an asylum seeker's records can be disclosed in the Family Court which is quite niche stuff, but it exists if that's ever an issue for anyone. The citation is R and Secretary of State for the Home Department Disclosure of Asylum Records 2019 EWHC 3147 FAM, as in a judgment from the Family Division of the High Court. And we also wanted to give a mention to a really good briefing by Cynthia Orchards of Consonant on the new Home Office Policy on Statelessness. So if you are handling statelessness cases and want some commentary on how the latest guidance differs from the old guidance, uh, check that out. It's on the website and it's called uh, simply the New Home Office Policy on Statelessness. Turning then to national security cases. The uh, highly topical issue of revoking UK citizenship from dual British Bangladeshi citizens will return to the Special Immigration Appeals Commission, uh, (SIAC). uh, that's because the Court of Appeal has allowed the government to appeal about the burden of proof in these kind of cases. And basically, they say that once the Home Secretary has, has satisfied herself that the person wouldn't be made stateless by citizenship deprivation, uh, the burden of proof then is on the, app, the appellant to show that they would be made stateless, uh, which is all fairly technical uh technical psyic will uh, make another decision on on the facts of the case, but I suppose broadly speaking it seems to make it a tad easier to strip citizenship from people yeah i, I, I yeah I, I have nothing nothing really to add on this one yeah, I agree also to do with, Syac, the court has uh, the commission has issued a note sort of chastising lawyers who appear in front of it. us' uh, perhaps the best words uh, for not following the procedural rules. This is a practice note published on 4 December, complaining about a rise in the number of late and, quote-unquote, unpro- quote, improperly instituted appeals. It seems to be sort of aimed at inexperienced practitioners who might be new to SIAC cases, and that in turn may be because there are so much more citizenship deprivations taking place from the government, and, and hence more appeals, more lawyers involved. Uh, so again, just one to be aware of if, if you are taking on SIAC work for the first time. And finally, uh, there is a upper tribunal case on procedure to flag. This has to do with court judicial review cases and how to amend your tribunal grounds of appeal, having succeeded in getting the High Court to overturn a refusal of permission to appeal. Now I I only barely follow the sentence I've just uttered, Colin. Uh, but it does seem to be a practical, very practically important thing for for these card cases. Uh, the citation uh, M A Kartajar effect on UT processes, Pakistan, twenty nineteen, UK UT three five three
0: iac Yeah, practical's one word for it. Kind of mundane and bureaucratic and grumpy might be other words that we could possibly use in this context. Uh, we get the impression that the, the upper tribunal is pretty upset about um, the high courts granting permission in these CART cases. Um, so, and and this is kind of the tribunal going out on a bit of a sort of grumpy rant about um, the, the procedural requirements and um, it's important guidance if you find yourself in the situation but it's it's a pretty niche scenario um doesn't happen a lot um but you know if if it does then this case is here for you as guidance Splendid. Uh, i think that's us then yeah that pretty much wraps up um december 2019 we'll be back with january in the next couple of weeks hopefully goodbye